When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I just remember putting my hands up really to defend myself, but I uh, could just feel every blow and you're just, all you can think about is putting your hands up and I could feel like uh, after each blow you'd pretty much go to yourself, oh, I'm still awake, I'm still conscious. I could feel like, oh, that hit me in the eye next to it, then I'm still here. And then I could feel like just teeth falling around in my mouth. And then... Pretty much, uh, I eventually was knocked unconscious. Um, I'm not really too sure for how long. I don't know, maybe adrenaline kicks in immediately once the skin is punctured. But I didn't feel it until I started to you know, feel uh, the pain resulting from it. I did not feel... Uh, the stab itself, like I say, it felt just like a light punch in the side. In Ireland today, we work harder to spend more and sleep less. In fact, we've developed having a good time into an art form. But is everyone having a good time? Chris and Michael both know otherwise. They've seen a different side of this Saturday night fever. They know that a Saturday night out in the town can quite easily end up in a casualty ward, with you the victim of random street violence, if you're lucky. Has our newfound affluence drawn us inevitably into a game of deadly hopscotch, in which we no longer avoid the edges of the pavement, but trip over cracks in a society where random street violence is the norm? I was at a friend's house, there were a few of us over. It was around a mile and a half away from where I live. So it was around half one at night, so I decided to walk home because there would be no point waiting for a taxi at all, be at least an hour. So I was at, it really took me around 20 minutes to walk home normally. So I went off on my own. I'd done it a lot of times before. And um, when I was walking home, uh, I was just walking past the green and I heard a group of people at the green. I kept on walking and um, I heard that I could sort of hear that they were moving up behind me, but they're a good bit away. So I heard someone shout, uh, do you have a cigarette? And I could hear them, but I completely ignored them and kept on walking. Um, sort of uh, they they were following me and uh, again there were a few more taunts and things but I was walking on ahead on my own when sort of then I just heard coming up behind me just footsteps of someone running so I didn't really turn around at all I wasn't sure whether they'd just come run past me or 
But then uh, as it got closer, I got a hit on the back of the head. At that point, I turned around and uh, there was one main guy. He pretty much uh, started hitting me, defending myself a bit. And I was on my feet for a while, but uh, a few others came up from the group that were behind and joined in. And pretty much, uh, I'd say after pretty much less than 30 seconds, I was on the ground and I was just being kicked repeatedly in the face. It was around a group of six at least. There were many boys, but um, uh, I would have presumed it would have been my age, if not maybe a year or two older, but within the same age group, really. Um, I wouldn't have said anything older than 20 or 21. The person who hit me first, I did get to see his face, uh, but... Um, I can't remember him too well afterwards. I know I saw his face directly. The others pretty much know because you were being hit from... You were getting glances, split-second glances, but you were being hit from every side, so that was... That was pretty... You didn't get really to see them at all. Some groups, some of these gangs, some of these uh, groups do go out to provoke violence and do enjoy a level of violence. Um, usually it, it would be just enough to, you know, throw off their inhibitions and forget themselves and, and uh, uh, prove themselves without doing serious damage to the other people or themselves. But sometimes, you know, whenever you're in that sort of situation, there is the potential for much more serious violence. Dr Paul O'Mahony has written extensively on violence in Irish society. He believes that while most people's lives may be free of violence, its manifestation has become more concentrated and more visible. It was uh, Paddy's weekend. Uh, there was a firework display down on the Keys uh, on the 19th, which was the Sunday. So I went down uh, to see the fireworks in the company of my flatmate. And uh, we had a look at them and Everything was great and we had loads of fun. But uh, afterwards we kind of bumped into a couple of people and ended up arranging to meet a few more outside the central bank at nine. And while we were standing outside, uh, I noticed a bit of a fracas. Um, about 15 feet away from me, uh, two friends of mine were trying to reason with a bunch of kids, um, probably no more than 15 years old, and numbering about 10, uh, one of whom had taken the hat off uh, one of my friend's heads. Uh, So I kind of just saw this going on out of the corner of my eye and fairly quickly realised what was going on because taking the hat off somebody's head is usually fairly quick way of saying that you want a rumble so uh, immediately after that I saw punches go in on my friends and kind of decided the best way to uh, to deal with this would be to try to get it over with as quickly as possible so I ran over and uh, started kind of uh, punching back the bunch of kids just as a means of kind of kind of scaring them off. They were very, very, very drunk. 
uh, pretty out of it and really, really aggressive. Um, the reason that I'd waded in in the first place was that uh, I, you know, knew as pretty much anybody who grows up in Dublin knows how uh, how a fight like that is going to work out. Those kids were out for blood and they'd picked on my friends because my friends were kind of studenty looking. So, you know, they're fairly easy prey to a certain kind of mind. And uh, it's a way of, you know, achieving a scalp, and, you know, declaring yourself a man in some sort of way by taking on an adult. And uh, it kind of finished fairly abruptly. They were dispersed and I thought it was all over. So I was trying to get out of there before they regrouped because I figured if they regrouped, uh, I would be in a bad situation. I remember kind of ducking cans. They still had cans left and they were throwing them at me. But certainly alcohol was a, a prime mover in the whole scenario. So I got my bike and as I was doing so, a stranger came up to me and said that uh, it was his recommendation that I get the hell out of there as quickly as possible, which I took to mean that the kids either had a weapon or reinforcements. Tried to get out of there as quickly as possible, which was hard because there were many, many people going home from the fireworks. And as I was cycling away, kind of weaving through the crowds, I felt a light punch on my side. Um, just before that, I'd heard one of the kids shouting, stab him, stab him. But, you know, I hadn't really realised that anything was going to come of that. It just seemed like a bit of shouting, fairly harmless. From my point of view, it's quite important to, to emphasise that uh, Irish society is not a very violent society. You know, things have not got totally out of hand. That uh, most young people, I suppose this this would be it. You know that that most uh, serious violence, which is used uh, instrumentally in crime, which uh, is a, a problem of an individual who who might have very little control and might uh, attack people in in an outrageous way, or even get involved in killing people. Uh, those sort of people are very rare. What, what is a, a problem, but it's still a minor problem, is this sort of group-related uh, and situation-related violence, the culture of drinking, late-night drinking for young people who've got very little experience, very little sort of um, cop-on almost, that that uh, is, seems to be increasing and is potentially dangerous. Well, clearly, you know, biologically, alcohol is a very strong disinhibitor. It makes or allows people, permits people to do things that uh, they might be cautious about uh, or, or uh, you, know, you know, be careful uh, not to do because of the, uh, of the uh, danger and the inherent risk. So uh, we have a great reputation for that. Unfortunately, what's happened here in the last number of years is that our culture of alcohol... Uh, and the, the sort of socialising around alcohol and, and our pub culture has uh, been reinforced to a huge extent and has permeated or has, uh, has become more pervasive even than it always was and become, has become more general, has gone down in, in the age 
groups has become something that 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds are quite deeply involved in. And, um, you know, more and more people, I think, are drinking and drinking to excess at that young age and becoming disinhibited and more likely to commit violent acts. You know, there's a lot of hype around, uh, around uh, crime in, in all its guises. Um, but there are real changes here and there are real increases. And there probably is a, an increase in what you call unprovoked attacks. But I don't think unprovoked attacks are unexplainable attacks. I think, you know, if you, if you could get the information about them and examine them closely, you'd find that uh, it's usually gang-related, that it's usually a gang of people who are attacking. And they're usually doing it for some purpose, some reason. And probably it relates to a sense of dominance, a sense of control, which they can't find in any other aspect of their lives. And probably they're, they're quite frustrated people and uh, people who maybe define themselves or are defined by society as failures and find that, you know, use of aggression is one successful way of getting a sense of power in a society which uh, grants them very little power. And that, you know, okay, so there's no genuine reason for attacking anybody, but they're just looking for somebody vulnerable, somebody susceptible, someone who's not going to be able to uh, fight back to express the, the, their, their violent needs against. So, yes, they're unprovoked in that sense and, and, and that people are at risk for no good reason. But there, there's never a good reason. You know, I mean, why is that much different to a person doing it in order to get money to buy a fix or, or whatever, you know, or to, to take someone's purse? There's, there's never a good reason for violence and for uh, aggression against people in that sense. They were hanging around the green and... Um they pretty much followed me and attacked me, really. So they made no attempt to move me or anything. And they were drinking. I remember seeing their cans as well. Um, but there was no... Um, they just went and attacked me to attack me, I guess, for fun, really. Eventually, once I hit the ground... I just, they just kicked me in the face repeatedly. Um, well, they ended up, uh, they broke my nose and knocked three teeth out of me. And um, um, it was just, uh, I had a lot of bruising to my face. It was very swollen and I was pretty lucky not to lose an eye. Uh, it was badly hurt and it's very bloodshot there. So I was fairly lucky in a way, but unlucky in other ways. I didn't have a bruise anywhere else on my arm or on my body except for my tongue, which I think they accidentally stepped on. You don't really have time to think. You're just between. You can't do anything. You just have to wait till it's over. And eventually it was. You don't... You can't do anything once you're in that situation. Once you're hit, you know, I was outnumbered. There was no way out. That was pretty much it. Just pray that it would end eventually. What you see in the movies was a bang on the head, somebody falling unconscious for five minutes and then getting up and uh, you're chasing the baddie and getting the heroin is uh, very much a myth. 
And I think that if you've been rendered unconscious by head injury, then you have suffered brain damage. And that brain damage can have lifelong implications for an individual. Mr. Daniel Ravlock is a consultant neurosurgeon at Beaumont Hospital in Dublin. He is concerned that people are not aware of the damage a punch or a kick to the face can do. In some cases of serious brain injury, other parts of the brain can take over from damaged parts, allowing people to recover speech or movement. And the younger you are, the better the prognosis. But it is also the case that once part of the brain is seriously damaged, it dies. Patients are vulnerable to the complications of the head injury. For instance, if alcohol has been taken, uh, they may be drowsy or sleepy due to the consequences of the alcohol, and that can impair their chances of, of subsequent recovery. I eventually was knocked unconscious. Um, I'm not really too sure for how long. Any individual who uh, receives blows or kicks to the face uh, can develop complications uh, from those injuries, which could ultimately prove to be fatal. Uh, not only uh, can there be direct damage to the brain itself, but also to the blood vessel supplying the brain, which in turn uh, could, could, have, uh, could lead to a patient developing fatal consequences. It just happened that a group of people just decided it was my turn and pretty much uh, there was nothing you could do at all. So I never I heard of friends getting into fights outside nightclubs, but really that was a bit of that wasn't a blatant attack. That was just drunken behaviour messing normally very minor and um, but this was um, I never really heard of anyone being attacked like this before I mean that's well known that uh, human beings in a mob or in a gang or a group will do things that they would never dream of doing alone um, the sense of responsibility is diminished. There's a diffusion of responsibility. There's a, a sense of de-individuation. A person loses a sense of identity and concentrates just simply on the here and now, the, the involvement. And in some respects, people, this is what people are looking for when they go in for things like uh, football hooliganism. They go in for an experience in which they can lose themselves. They can lose their the, the sense of harsh reality around their egos and around their identities uh, and uh, can get lost in, in the fervour and the excitement and the group collective action. And, and they can say it was the group doing it and I only went along with it. It wasn't me personally uh, making a choice. You know, I just did what uh, I was expected to do by, by my group. And in many respects, I think modern life encourages that kind of attitude, an attitude of uh, not taking individual responsibility. I think life has become more and more systematised. And I think perhaps young people, in one, one sense, are reacting to the systematisation, the, the strong expectations, the conventions that uh, 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 they see all around them, you know. And more and more need release and a, a sense of escape, a feeling uh, of escape from the kind of identity that's being forced upon them. And, as I say, one of the ways of doing this is within the group. You, you, you can uh, shake off the, the uh, everyday reality and that sense of uh, identity that which roots you to your past and to your future 
can forget about the past, you can forget about the future and just live in the here and now and do what the group's doing. I continued on my way and kind of went down the steps at the, the back of the central bank and got back on my bike and was cycling down the street just trying to get the hell out of there and felt wetness on my side. So I lifted up my shirt and found much blood uh, running down the side of my chest. So uh, needless to say, I figured out that I'd been stabbed and decided that I'd probably best uh, get some help fairly quickly. Earlier on, I had seen some police down at the Haveny Bridge. So I cycled down there and uh, told them that I'd been stabbed and could they please get me help as fast as possible. So once I'd solved the problem of uh, finding a way of getting to hospital, um, that's when the physical repercussions started to take effect. Uh, my lung was in the process of collapsing because it had been punctured. Uh, so I couldn't really breathe. And a couple of nice people were kind of passing by and I actually had to lie down on the ground and they kind of kept me awake, uh, seemingly like they say in the movies, uh, going to sleep is a bad thing when you're in that kind of situation. So they kept me awake, which felt really cliched at the time. But uh, they did that, and they tried to make me as comfortable as possible. But uh, I have two distinct memories from the lying on the ground portion of the evening. Uh, the first of which was two Dublin blokes kind of standing there uh, having cans and smoking, just kind of watching the bloke on the ground, which was you know, amusing even at the time. Uh, and... Then I remember just a woman's voice. I was lying on my back and at this point I was starting to cramp up because, you know, the, the pain was getting to be uh, pretty much intolerable. Uh, that happened very quickly, actually. But I remember a woman saying, it's only a little hole. It can't be that bad. And uh, my kind of gritting my teeth and cursing her and telling her to go away. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I started to get... Uh, very, very sore, uh, unlike anything I've ever experienced, and not being able to breathe, which kind of leads to panic, and paramedics can't actually give you uh, painkillers, so once I got into the ambulance, uh, they gave me oxygen, but, I mean, that's that doesn't really help that much. Initially, um, I suffered a punctured lung, damage to the diaphragm, uh, and a lacerated liver and gallbladder. It was suggested to me initially that it was a sharpened screwdriver um, due to the, the shape of the wound, um, but also that uh, it might have been a Stanley knife. It seems far more likely that it would have been a sharpened screwdriver because you can't get uh, done for carrying a screwdriver, but uh, carrying a knife can land you in a bit of trouble if you get caught. When I got out of hospital, I weighed about 10 stone. Normally I weigh about 13. So I was very underweight, very sick, had no energy. And as a result, I'm now repeating my finals, 
which feels fairly needless. Um, and have been lumped with the expense of uh, doing an extra year in college uh, for which there's no compensation uh, afforded by the only people who take care of such stuff. Uh, the people who who deal with this kind of case are called the Criminal Injuries Compensation Tribunal and they allow for medical expenses, travel expenses to and from hospital and loss of earnings, which accounts for somebody who's working but uh, doesn't in any way account for somebody in my case who is in uh, full-time education and has uh, extra expenses resulting from the violent crime uh, which, you know, don't fit into their criteria. So it's a bit of a pain. I think I was able to get over the 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 whole violence of the the scenario without much difficulty. I know that when I was in hospital, certainly initially, um, I had violent jerking in my sleep, which wasn't related to any nightmares that I could remember. Um, but was noted by many, many visitors and uh, also by myself as I jerked myself awake uh, every day for quite a while. But I think the first thing to say is that a lot of these symptoms, the irritability, the anger, the guilt, the panic attacks, um, nightmares, all of those are, it's very important to say, those are normal responses to an abnormal situation. So... There's nothing wrong with you. You're not losing your mind. Um, you know, you're not a freak because you've responded that way. This would be a normal response to a trauma. Dr Lucy Moore is a senior psychologist working in the Dublin area. I think, myself, a lot of it is to do with the meaning that, that people put on a particular attack. And if you feel that you have been picked out for some reason, um, maybe you, you will then fear that you'll be picked out again. Um, again, if you feel that it's been a totally random event that happened, very often people will feel unsure in a lot of situations because they think, well, if it happened once, it can happen again. And it can take them quite a while to get their, their confidence back. I'm absolutely fine now. Uh, I don't have any problem going into the city centre. Uh, obviously, I'm still vigilant because uh, I don't want to get stabbed again. It's too much of a hassle, really. Um, but I, I don't suffer anything that might be termed uh, post-traumatic uh, not too fond of thinking about that five month period during which uh, I was trying to recover from the stab People can be very afraid to go back for example to the scene of where the trauma happened. Now this would be the same sometimes if there was a road traffic accident or, or other accident or trauma and people need to be encouraged to do that. Because the thing with anxiety is, if you don't try and challenge your anxieties and face up to some of the problems, and if you continue to avoid, what tends to happen then is that the net of the anxiety sort of spreads wider, and things that you weren't anxious at all about in the past suddenly become very anxiety-provoking. And you can get to the stage where maybe someone would start off not going to college because they'd have to walk by the place where the attack took place to them feeling 
they might worry about going down to the corner shop and then a week or so later they're actually worried about going to the whole door and answering it and gradually the, the amount of things that cause them worry and concern increase and increase. So it's very important that gently people are encouraged to face up to some of the things that are, are worrying for them, provided it's safe to do so um, and doesn't... Um, entail walking down dark alleyways at night or doing something that would patently be unsafe. But, you know, if to pick up their normal threads of their life again, going to work or college or, or socialising, um, in as safe and secure a way as they can, and to try and let this um, incident have as little as possible effect on, on their lives. But that's very difficult. I always thought walking home, you're safe enough. 18 male walking home, your grand nothing can happen to you. You'll be able to defend yourself at least or run off. And then it just happened that a group of people just decided it was my turn and there was nothing you could do at all. So I never really heard of anyone being attacked like this before. And now that it's happened to me, I've become more aware that, yeah, it seems to be happening nearly every night, especially recently with the tragic deaths recently and it's made me think that that could have been me and I just feel fortunate that I got away this time. Up to recently it has been felt that everybody who went through a, you know a trauma or was involved in a disaster or anything like that you know they needed this counselling immediately afterwards. Now more up-to-date research is suggesting that no that's not the case. And, you know, there is a perfectly normal life, life cycle, if you like, to some of these symptoms. But the difficulty is that, you know, if things don't settle down several months later, I, I think I would be saying, yes, it would be a good idea to talk to somebody. Because if you leave it for maybe a year or even longer after the accident, a lot of these things are established in your, your, your lifestyle, your pattern. You know, your sleep is out of kilter. Your social life has declined to zero. You're not going out. You're un still unable to concentrate on your work or your studies. And these can become more chronic difficulties that are harder to shift. Whereas if you go to see somebody maybe three, between th three, four months after the incident, it's generally easier to help people move on because the difficulties are less entrenched. There are lots of you know, therapeutic methods for working with people who have been violent and are violent and, and react angrily and with rage in, in, inappropriately and in situations which would be much, much better dealt with, uh, with, with more thoughtful um, conciliation methods. You know, they're, they're, in the prisons there are, there are anti-violence uh, groups which can be very effective with people. They help people reflect on their own reactions, their own emotional involvement in, in situations and in relationships and uh, teach them how to give themselves space, you know, to, to think on other options and, and uh, to, to uh, reconcile things in a, in a more effective way. I had an argument and a serious argument and somebody ended up, I, I reacted to somebody else, somebody else had uh, violence committed towards me and, and I reacted and the person end, ended up dead. So, very serious, very, very serious. Um, as I said earlier, like, shocked, like, shocked me to realise that I could react in that way. But um, sitting back, like, over the years, I can understand now. I can understand that everyone has the capability to, to, to react in that way. If the fear and 
it definitely was fear. <laughs> um, if the fear is there, uh, it's and, and it's mixed with anger and it's mixed with like a, a, a survival a thing, like where you, you need to, you feel so threatened, like that you're going to react in this way. The fear will bubble to the surface so quickly that um, it's a dangerous situation. It's a, it's a recipe for disaster. But you do carry around with you the thoughts of what you've done. And some people call that conscience, or some people have other views on what it is. And you can get into like a religious debate about whatever. Like, I don't try and shy away from that and just take it as I find it. Peter was recently released from prison after serving a sentence for manslaughter. The Alternatives to Violence programme, AVP, which operates both inside and outside prisons in the Republic, offers perpetrators the opportunity to explore why they resorted to violence and how they might change their behaviour in the future. Beforehand, like, violence was just an everyday part of my life, basically, um, whether it was violence um, being, like, purported towards me or me committing violence, or it was always there, like, and AVP really brought an awareness to viol- of violence. It gave me an awareness of violence and the root causes of violence, you know, really, like, things that... Like fear, you know, and stuff, anger, and like, like really in deep, getting into deep, like um, looking at why, how violence happens, variable violence, mental violence, physical violence, like so many different aspects of violence. Like violence is not just a, a physical, you know, manifestation, whatever you'd want to call it. Like it's that's definitely not what it is, it is not. Like it is that's part of it, but when you get down to the root causes of it, it is definitely like fear plays a big, big part in it. Anyway, from what I see of it, anyway. Like somebody who comes across real um, aggressive and that. And it's really down, so an awful lot of the time it comes down to an insecurity. And so many times, like during workshops, and some tough men, like, and you, to, to listen in, it's like you're privileged to be sitting there and watch somebody come out and open up, like, in, in, in a workshop environment and to express inner feelings that you know hasn't been expressed before. They've been taught before, but, like, held back. Fear and anger and aggressiveness manifests itself through, like, the, the, what I've just been talking about. And, and that's how an awful lot of people ended up in prison. And that's why when they get into the AVP or they get into the workshops in the imprisoned environment, they can see so much of how, you know, they got landed in the situation they're in, if you see what I'm saying. It's like looking from the inside out. Whereas if they could have looked from the outside in beforehand or maybe be given that opportunity to explore these um, areas of their lives and... I, I, I'm speaking from my own experience here and nobody else's. If I had been given the opportunity to explore these these issues in my life before I got put in prison, I don't think I would have ended up in prison because I don't think I would have reacted in the situation which got me into prison in the first place. I wouldn't have reacted in that way. Ideally, I would uh, like uh, the kid to have been caught um, uh, out of pure revenge, I suppose, uh, which feels fairly natural. I mean, the kid took a lot of time out of my life and caused me a great deal of pain. So I would like for him to have been caught and maybe had some time taken out of his life. It isn't just this year that uh, people have noticed that there are a lot of brawls which can sometimes be lethal late at night after nightclubs close and as the, the, the crowd empties out onto the street. This has been going on for many years, 
quite a substantial proportion of the homicides every year have been of this this type. Uh, people being killed in in a stupid, uh, almost random way, uh, in a, by strangers often, you know, over a very minor slight or altercation that builds up very quickly because they're drunk, because they're egged on, because there's a sense of excitement and a sense that you you have to show your toughness and all the rest of it. We need to change, our, our, our train our young people in standing on their own two feet and being independent-minded and, uh, you know, not only having values but standing up for those values in a situation where, you know, the, all the pressures are to conform and to forget personal values and to go along with the norm of this particular gang or group. You know, so, so we need to empower people to be able to stand up against groups or perhaps even more importantly, to influence the groups that they belong in a positive, uh, they belong to in a positive way. Um, but you know, we also we also need to change people's attitudes to the ways that they have fun. This year, in excess of fifteen hundred victims of assault have already attended the emergency departments of Dublin hospitals. Despite this. A lack of official statistics and underreporting of crime make it difficult to say whether street violence has dramatically increased. What is certain is that few of these cases will result in prosecution. Pretty much, I was in a state of shock. I was pretty much just walking around. I was on my feet, but um, we rang for they rang for our help uh, for the Gardaí and uh, an ambulance. It took around nearly an hour for the ambulance to turn up. And the Gardaí never turned up at all, even though they were rang twice. Afterwards, it was taken very seriously and there was an effort put in to try and piece together what happened. But unfortunately, it was too late. There wasn't really much of a legal process. Uh, uh, I don't know exactly how um, the ball got started rolling. Uh, obviously the guards who I had spoken to initially and asked to get an ambulance had to uh, file some sort of report. And uh, with that, uh, I dealt with a couple of detectives from Pier Street um, who were a little bit hamstrung by the fact that uh, there are, I think, 10... Uh, cameras focused on that plaza in front of the central bank uh, on Dame Street. But uh, in actual fact, only one of them was recording. At the time, I really think that uh, there should be a lot more cops just wandering the streets at night uh, on a beat or whatever. I don't know how they'd organise it. Um, Because that is a deterrent. There are more people going into more places in the city centre than there, than there could have been, say, uh, 10 years ago, or maybe 15 years ago. You probably have to consult Dublin Bus and see how many people are getting the bus in and how many people are getting nightlings home. But uh, it certainly feels like there's a lot more people. Um, there are more people drinking more drinks, and alcohol is definitely a factor in street violence.
part of the media interest and the, the public interest is the kind of extension to the middle classes and to types of people that one would, one would think wouldn't indulge in this kind of behaviour. And, uh, you know, it's a very important part of the definition of middle-class people that they, they, they're not overtly aggressive, either verbally or physically, certainly not physically, but even verbally. And this is something that the middle class see the lower classes indulging in, and uh, they scorn it. So uh, perhaps, you know, it's a shock to the self-image of the Irish middle classes to see the the level of kind of crass behaviour that middle-class youngsters indulge in when they have drink and when they're out of sight of parents and teachers. Uh, not uh, you know, it's, it's drink, it's sex, it's it's this kind of uh, violence and uh, rivalry and, and and the rest. I will be aware that it would happen again, yeah. And in a way, I feel like um, do much as I can to avoid it at the moment, but. I could see it happening again. Um, there's really not much you can do. I never thought I was at risk before, but you are, really. No matter who you are, you, if you're walking home alone, you can become easily become a victim for no apparent reason. Um, so since I have no reason why they did it to me... Um, I find it very easy to believe that it would happen again, that people like them are still out there. It could happen even tonight, for all I know. I still love the city, uh, but I, I, I'm not too happy about the, the kind of sense of violence on the streets or the undertow of violence. Uh, I was always fairly careful in the city centre anyway. Um... And uh, I'm as careful now and no more careful than I was. Uh, it's not exactly the kind of thing that you can really uh, think about that much. Uh, I was just trying to help my friends out, which is a fairly normal response, I think. And, yeah, I would I would have to do it again. Um, I would hope that next time the kid in question or the... People in question don't have a sharpened screwdriver to hand, uh, but I don't think you can really live your life uh, in fear of uh, the possibility uh, that somebody's going to stab you. Just get on with it. It would be great to see them again, <laughs> but, uh, but um, yeah, it's there's it's not much you can really do. Once it's done, you're all of a sudden you're a victim. You never wanted to be a victim. And there's nothing you can really do at the moment. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.